This is Inquiry. We're going out into Indianapolis neighborhoods and meeting the people who live and work in them. This podcast is about the stories we come back with. Maple Crossing, at the intersection of 38th and Illinois, is the meeting point of five different neighborhoods. A small intersection with a reputation of crime. On the south side of the intersection, there's a McDonald's and a BP gas station, and across the street, a CVS. The busyness of 38th Street is invasive. The loud street noises and the constant flow of traffic give the area a sense of urgency, but rarely do the cars stop to visit any of the stores. On the north side of 38th, the businesses are smaller and older. There's a huge church on 38th and Meridian, the next street over from Illinois, that owns the whole northeast block. There's an Ace, an abandoned flower shop building where a farmer's market is held on Thursday afternoons, an abandoned lot where nothing happens, and a parking lot. A little further north is Tarkington Park. There used to be an empty lot between the park and the parking lot, but it's now under construction. The park is expanding as another part of the Great Places Initiative. If you cross the street, still on the north side of the intersection, you'll find a collection of small businesses and empty storefronts. Most have been there for over 30 years, but a few are more recent additions. The 305 Hot Store on the corner is abandoned. The whole building is, and has apparently been stripped, too. In total, there are four empty storefronts and seven occupied ones. A barber shop, the Melody Inn, a dry cleaners and alterations place, an auto supply store, Queen Bees slash Dad's Hats, a pawn shop, and costumes by Margie. The six lanes of 38th Street serve almost as some sort of barrier at Maple Crossing. On the south, there are the trappings of any other intersection in any city in America. The layout and players are familiar, a gas station, fast food, and a convenience store. But on the other side, there are 10 shops, each unique to Indianapolis, each in the hands of a small business owner, representing the opposite of the chain businesses on the other side. Two different sides of 38th Street for two different ideals. We've said it before, but our first impressions of Maple Crossing was that nothing had changed in ages. Once we could separate the constant movement of 38th Street from the actual neighborhood of Maple Crossing, it felt kind of slow and sleepy, like a place stuck in time. All the business owners know each other, or at least know of each other. They operate together, in their respective businesses on the same corner of the city. Many of them have been there for a long time. If you ask one about another, the response is usually something along the lines of, oh, yeah, I know of so-and-so, they've been here X many years. In some ways, it felt like a small town, hidden in a larger city. As we've done more research into the history of the area, that small town vibe kind of makes more sense. Sometime in the 1840s, the area that is now Maple Crossing was then just populated by a bunch of sugar maple trees. A few German farming families settled down and the town of Mapleton was formed. Travelers heading north from Indianapolis, just three miles south, were known to stop in Mapleton before continuing up to the town of Broad Ripple. It's a little crazy to think of a time when Indianapolis was so small that Broad Ripple was a separate town, so far away that most people stopped at a village to rest midway through the journey. It paints a quaint picture of farms and dirt roads cutting through miles of forested land, an image worthy of Lori Ingalls. By 1860, though, the future was coming in the form of the Indianapolis Railway. Crown Hill Cemetery was newly purchased by Indianapolis, and the railway was coming out to connect the two. 
20 years later, the small village of Mapleton had grown to 300 people, and now included a post office, stables, a general store, a school, and a Methodist church. German influence was evident in the little town, and the church was a prominent part of daily life. Fast forward a few decades, and electric railways have connected Mapleton and Indianapolis, making Mapleton a suburb. A few more decades, and the town is even more developed, even more tightly tied to Indianapolis. In 1902, Mapleton was officially annexed by Indianapolis. It's interesting. Almost anything you pull up about the area online, even the Wikipedia page for the Butler-Tarkington neighborhood, mentions the demographics of the area. Around the mid-1950s, several court decisions stemming from the civil rights movement required closed neighborhoods using exclusionary tactics to open their doors to anyone who wished to live in the area. As the neighborhood began to change from mostly white to include more diversity, the Butler-Tarkington Neighborhood Association formed to help ease the tensions of the newly integrating community. I know it's a little bit of a stretch to say that the intersection feels like a small town because it once was one, but that was the first thing I thought when I learned that Maple Crossing was once the small, German, farming village of Mapleton. And who knows? Maybe to some extent, it's true. The neighborhood has a history of strong church involvement going all the way back to that first Sugar Grove Methodist Mission Church. And it's still an area that gets passed through when traveling north from Indy. Here's another thing about researching Maple Crossing. After about 1950, the internet trail goes cold, and it's tricky to find relevant city records. It's such a small little part of a larger neighborhood in a larger city that the small changes of which businesses were where and if there used to be a diner get lost in the mix. And since our first impressions were that the place hadn't changed all that much in the last few decades, we initially left it at that. But as we talked more and more to people in the area, we got to know the business owners better. They kept dropping little hints at a neighborhood that looked different not so long ago. When we learned that the North United Methodist Church owned the whole Northeast block of Maple Crossing, we headed over to talk to them about the more recent history. We were excited to hear that the church actually had an employee who had taken an interest in the history of the neighborhood and had done extensive research into the church and neighborhood archives. We walked away that day, email in hand, confident all of our questions would soon be answered. Initially, our first emails were met with enthusiasm, but as the day stretched on and we got past higher and higher up the chain of command, it began to look less promising. Finally, we hit a dead end and had to give up our dreams of finding all of our answers in one easy interview. So we went back to the drawing board. Our first instinct was to turn back to Google. But as we said earlier, these changes predate Google, so the records don't live in the electronic database that is the internet. The paper research method hasn't given us too many results either. It's such a small part of a larger neighborhood, and to make it more difficult, it's the boundary of many different neighborhoods. On top of that, sorting through stacks of government documents in search of one intersection would take longer than our episode per week timeline will allow. So we ruled that out too. We finally realized that none of these methods were really successful. Carefully searching through page after page of hits that come up when you type Diner, Indianapolis, 38th and Illinois into a search bar, and Old City Records just to find out if there used to be a restaurant was not working. So we took a step back and said, okay, let's rethink this strategy. Internet and book research had only taken us so far in our time crunch, and North United Methodist hadn't worked out as planned. So we turned to the other side of the street. 
because while the church has been there the longest, they're not the only ones with a history on the block. This whole long search for the lost neighborhood of Maple Crossing has sprung out of small conversations with the regulars of the block, the people who we see every time, the residents who are always around, and the employees who have been working in their shops for decades. So it made the most sense to go back to them. Our questions had started there, and originally we had tried to figure out what exactly has changed by going to other sources, but that hadn't really worked out. We had a new strategy. Talk to everyone. All of the people who have worked in that little strip for longer than either of us have been alive. They lived this change. We went back to square one, but rather than taking steps back, we began to move forward. We spent hours talking with Queen Bee, who still won't let us formally interview her, and talked to Rock from ND Pond out on the sidewalk. We've met people from Jehovah's Witness, three different sets of three different people, and stopped to discuss when exactly the Double Eight Foods closed down, and was there really a slaughter room in the basement? We went with our friend Mike to get a haircut from Cheatham and Moore Barbershop and spent the whole time talking to Mr. Bill. We've pressed our faces up to the windows of the 305 Hot Building to try to decide for ourselves whether it's under construction or not, and stopped to watch the workers build the new addition to Tarkington Park. We spent a while trying to corroborate our story with as many people as possible. Here's what we found. We are positive that there used to be a building across the street from the main strip, between the Ace Hardware and the flower shop. And we know that it was demolished. It was torn down by the church, North United Methodist, who, if you remember, owns the whole block. The building was structurally unsound, so now all that's left is an empty lot. The first time we heard of that missing building was from Queen Bee, whose hat shop used to be in that building. A classy, old-school men's apparel store took up one of the storefronts in the building, too. Queen Bee says that when they closed their doors, her store received a donation of men's hats, and when the building was demolished, she moved Queen Bee's slash dad's hats to the other side of the street. Rock from Indy Pond was working the day they started tearing the building down. He said it only took a couple days. Queen Bee told us about costumes by Margie back when it first opened in 1966. She said there used to be lines of people waiting to get in. We had no idea if that's true, but we get her point. Costumes by Margie has gone through four different owners since Margie Grimes first founded the store, and the current owner has done a fabulous job of building a niche market of small-scale productions in need of the finest costumes Indy has to offer, while still maintaining that beloved Costumes by Margie feel. If you've ever been in there, you'll know what we mean. Between Costumes by Margie and Queen Bee, we've got The Barbershop and Melody Inn. Melody Inn was established in 1935, maybe one of the oldest stores in the Strip. It's now a fun punk rock bar, but it looks like it was a classic swingin' 30s bar when it first opened. Cheatham and Moore Barbershop has been around for more than 50 years, although it moved around a few times before finding the shop in Maple Crossing in 1979, and that's where they've stayed ever since. Both Mr. Moore and Mr. Cheatham are prominent figures in the community, and Mr. Moore can still be found cutting hair with his son in the shop. Mr. Cheatham isn't around as much anymore, but Mr. Moore assured us he'll still cut hair every once in a while. Sun Beauty Supply used to be in the strip too, and the barbershop owns the building. One man getting a haircut joked that Mr. Moore had all the keys to every shop around. Mr. Moore's only response was to hold up a keychain with enough keys to fortify the claim. The first time we talked to Queen Bee, she mentioned that there had once been a diner, an all-American style place that she also said would have had a line out the door. That's been a little hard to figure out. 
It is believable, there's certainly a space for one. And as a bigger picture of the neighborhood in the 60s gets painted, it's not hard to see how there would be a demand for it. But as of now, we aren't sure if it ever existed. And then there's the Double Eight Foods, which to me is the most interesting mystery. It's closed now. The last city inspection visit we could find was from 2014, and there were quite a few corrections. Since it's closing, neighbors are having a hard time finding groceries nearby. In fact, the next closest grocery store is the Fresh Market, which is one of the most expensive in the city. The nearest affordable place is the Kroger on 16th Street, which is over three miles away. Actually, Maple Crossing would be a food desert if it weren't for the farmer's market that's only open one day a week in the summer. And there is a McDonald's across the street and convenience stores, but a food desert is only qualified based off of legitimized grocery stores. While this is a problem, it's not a mystery. The mystery that is so intriguing, and as far as we've been able to tell true, is that there used to be a slaughterhouse in the basement. A lady sitting on the corner with the Jehovah's Witnesses told us that the place used to stink, and she didn't know why for the longest time until a friend who worked there took her down to see the meat room in the basement. We've got enough people to back up that whatever meat came out of that room was less than appetizing. Flashback to 60 years ago, when Maple Crossing was still young and vibrant. So many familiar players, but there are differences too. No barbershop yet, no 305 hot store, a whole building that no longer exists. An upscale men's clothing store, a smaller, slightly less busy 38th Street, no food desert. This isn't the picture we get at 38th and Illinois anymore. There are similarities, but it's not the same. Change is the mark of time, and without, no growth exists. And Maple Crossing certainly has growth on its horizon. What used to be the Sun Beauty Supply will soon house a tattoo parlor. There's rumors of Double Eight becoming a brewery, Tarkington Park is expanding, allegedly the parking lot will become an apartment building with a grocery store dominating the ground level, an oasis in the desert. There's no doubt that Maple Crossing has change on the horizon. What will be interesting to see is how a neighborhood as old as this one will face these changes. Time goes on, change happens, but whether that change brings growth and development or desolation is up to each of us. This podcast is written and produced by Adeline Sinsawa and Tucker Krajewski in partnership with the City Gallery. Our intro and outro music is by Rocketbot, and Tucker made everything else you've heard. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and if you have any questions or want to talk to us, you can email us at inquirypodcast at gmail.com, or just come to the Harrison Center. Thanks for listening.